chapter 8. We're going through the book of Daniel, pretty much a chapter at a time. And we're reading through this, this chapter this week. The famous words of Hebrews chapter 1. Long ago, in many ways, in many times, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. So in many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. And Daniel will be our prophet today that God has spoken to in, in wild amazing visions and dreams. Uh, let me read the chapter and we'll uh, work on it together a little bit. This is Daniel chapter 8. In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, after that which appeared to me at the first. And I saw in the vision, and when I saw, I was in Susa, the capital, or sometimes called the citadel, which is in the province of Elam. And I saw in the vision, and I was at the Ulai Canal. I raised my eyes and saw. There's note, note here, lit, uh, the literature here. It's almost as if he's stammering. <laughs> he's overwhelmed. This whole thing is intended to be overwhelming. Um, I raised my eyes and saw, and behold, a ram standing on the bank of the canal. It had two horns, and both horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher one came up last. I saw the ram charging westward and northward and southward. No beast could stand before him, and there was no one who could rescue from his power. He did as he pleased and became great. As I was considering, behold, a male goat came from the west across the face of the whole earth without touching the ground. And the goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. He came to the ram with the two horns, which I had seen standing on the bank of the canal, and he ran at him in his powerful wrath. I saw him come close to the ram, and he was enraged against him, and struck the ram, and broke his two horns, and the ram had no power to stand before him, but he cast him down to the ground and trampled on him. And there was no one who could rescue the ram from his power. Then the goat became exceedingly great. But when he was strong, the great horn was broken. And instead of it, there came up four conspicuous, 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 I think. Is that that word? Conspicuous. Yes, I was dropping off a syllable there. Forgive me. Four conspicuous horns. This guy's having a bad hair day. Four conspicuous horns uh, toward the four winds of heaven, north, south, east, west. These four conspicuous horns came out of his head. 
out, out of one of them came a little horn which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land. No doubt a reference to the Holy Land. It grew great, great, even to the host of heaven. That's a reference to the stars. A huge horn on one of the four horns. And some of the host, that's some of the stars or even angels, and some of the host and some of the stars, it threw down to the ground and trampled on them. It became great, even as great as the prince of the host. And the regular burnt offering was taken away from him, and the place of his sanctuary was overthrown. And a host will be given over to it, together with the burnt, regular burnt offering, because of transgression. And it will throw truth to the ground, and it will act and prosper. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to the one who spoke, how long is the vision concerning the regular burnt offering, the transgression that makes desolate, and the giving over of the sanctuary and the host to be trampled underfoot? And he said to me, for 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I, I sought to understand it. It's kind of curious, right? Because Daniel's the great guy who understands visions and dreams. Here he's in the position of not knowing the vision and dream. Of course, he's going to get the information from the same source that he got it before, from God himself. But he's in the position of not understanding. I sought to understand it. And behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli. And it, call, it called, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. This is Gabriel, the great angel, he's one, I think there's only two angels named in the Bible, Michael and Gabriel. Um, and he comes, and he's apparently not a gold little cherub, a uh, little female, a little fat little thingy. <laughs> he's more like the angels described in uh, Ezekiel, which are terrors beyond our capacity to understand, beyond what Hollywood could do in special effects. Uh, he, and he's terrified. Uh, he, he, uh, he said, where am I here? So he came near to me, verse 17, where I stood. And when he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. But he said to me, understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. And when he had spoken to me, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground. This is kind of a, what happens to a lot of you when I start preaching. I was thinking, you know. 
except you don't, you know, usually lay on your face. <laughs> you know what they say about all, if, you, if you laid all the people who slept in church, if you laid them out head to toe, they'd be a lot more comfortable. <laughs> no, you guys hardly ever sleep. It's just a joke, you know, just a joke. But he's there, and, and he fell into a deep sleep uh, with his face to the ground. But God's saying, no, 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 no. You don't sleep in the presence of the Word of God. I got something for you to say, even if you don't like it. But he touched me and made me stand up. Oh, come on, Dad, I don't want to get out of bed. He made me stand up and said, Behold, I will make known to you what shall be at the latter end of the indignation for it refers to the appointed time of the end as for the ram that you saw with the two horns these are the kings of media and persia hmm. verse 21 and the goat is the king of greece and the great horn between his eyes is the first king that's alexander the great as for the horn that was broken, uh, that's Alexander. He died when he was 32. I'm going to go over this again a little bit, but I, I can't resist throwing some things out here. Sorry. As for the horn that was broken, in place of which four others arose, four kingdoms shall arise from his nation, but not with his power. And at the latter end of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their limit, a king of bold face, one who understands riddles, shall arise. His power shall be great, but not by his own power. He shall cause fearful destruction and shall succeed in what he does. And destroy mighty men and the people who are the saints. By his cunning, he shall make deceit prosper under his hand. And in his own mind, he shall become great. Without warning, he shall destroy many. And he shall even rise up against the prince of princes. And he shall be broken, that is, the little horn, not the prince of princes. He shall be broken, but by no human hand. The vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been told is true, but seal up the vision, for it refers to many days from now. And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for days. Then I rose and went about the king's business. But I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, by your spirit and sovereign will, you have placed this passage of Scripture in your holy word. And we believe your word that says all Scripture, all Scripture, is given by inspiration, is breathed out by God, and is therefore profitable. Oh, 
Father. We won't skip over this passage. We want to linger in it and listen to it. And Lord, uh, we need your spirit to guide us and to teach us and uh, to show us. We, we, we believe that since it is your word, it is relevant and it speaks to us today. And it is our leathery and calloused ears that make it seem distant and irrelevant. So please, O oh Father, give us ears to hear what you are saying to us today. And please unleash your power in your word for your glory, for our repentance, and for the good of your church. Amen. All right. So we have Daniel, and he gives us a time stamp here at the very beginning of when, when this happened in the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar. You remember King Belshazzar because several chapters ago, uh, back in chapter 5, we have recorded the fall of Belshazzar. So the, the chapters are clearly not in chronological order, and that's fine, we can handle that. Uh, Belshazzar's the guy who had God posted on his Facebook wall. Mene, mene, tekel you farson. <laughs> God was into the modern technology. It was made by a hand. He wrote on the wall. He wrote on his wall. Uh, you've been weighed and found wanting. And this very night you're going to die. And he did. And the Medes and the Persians took over. Uh, it's, it's one of those amazing, ironic realities of history. Because here he is in, Belshazzar thinks he's utterly secure, and he's in this great historic palace of, of Nebuchadnezzar, and in this great meeting room, there's thousands of people, the, the, the gallons upon gallons upon gallons of the, you know, the finest wines are being consumed in great measure. They're having a wild, crazy party. And God chooses this moment to post on his wall to tell him that I've been watching you. It's over. So that's chapter 5. That's uh, roughly, I'm just speaking around numbers. This is like, I think he was about 15 years into his reign at that point. Daniel writes chapter 8, it says in the third year of King Belshazzar, in the third year, so it's before that, and last chapter, 7, it was in the first year of King Belshazzar. Now, Daniel's extremely wise, he, and he's, he worked for a lot of uh, mixed bag kings, some pretty lousy kings, Nebuchadnezzar, he went through that whole thing with the... Nebuchadnezzar becoming an animal for seven periods of time. He was involved with all of that. He's, see, he's seen it all. He's been in the lion's den. Um, actually, I'm not sure exactly when the lion's den thing happens. Anyway, is that, is it? It's after. Okay, there you go. You've been teaching them, see? <laughs> actually, people know Daniel. That's cool. Um, Daniel's really wise, and I think he knows absolutely certainly that, that, that Belshazzar is a dud. I mean, Belshazzar is disgusting. 
He, he, he's not a good king. And he's going to end, in the, like I said, in this ultimate sort of arrogant, ridiculous, bloated drunkenness uh, that's tragic and sad because the very moment he thinks he's absolutely secure, the Medes and the Persians, we know from other sources, were actually... Uh, they built a, like a diversion for the river. The, was it the Tigris River, Tony? Or the Euphrates, you know, one of those two, <laughs> that flowed right through the city. And he, they actually built a diversion to get into the city and take over that very night. And he's, he's you know, kind of, I, I, I believe this. I believe that Daniel is saying, you know, okay, enough is enough. When are we going to get some relief here? When, is the, when are the good times going to start to roll? When are happy days? Happy days are here again. You know, we elected a new president, and it's going to be fantastic. He's going to solve all the problems. Hallelujah. And they end up with Belshazzar. And, and so he sees in this vision, and what does he see? He sees uh, this fantastic vision of, of various uh, members of the sheep family. Uh, there's the ram standing on the bank, and it's got these two horns. It sim- symbolizes Medo-Persia, two horns, and the Persian horn is bigger. And, and they, they reigned for a long time. Medo-Persia uh, went from like 550 to 330. The Persian Empire was a great empire. And he sees that in this vision, and then, I mean, and nobody can stop them. He does what he pleases. He charges westward, northward, southward, anywhere he wants to go. There's no rescue from him, verse 4. And he's thinking about that, and then all of a sudden, boop, a male goat appears on the same bank. And uh, he has one conspicuous, conspicuous, four syllables. (laughs) He's a unicorn. Uh, he has this one big thing, and this is this is Greece. Uh, Alexander the Great rises to power. He 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 has this fantastic idea that um, unifying Greece will be a good thing in Macedonia, and he gets he one way he does it too is he creates a language that we call Koine Greek. He coined the language. Why is this important to us? Because this is the language that God chose to use in the New Testament. And it was the uh, language of trade for roughly 600 years, uh, 300 uh, B.C. to 300 A.D. It was the language of the New Testament. It was the language created by Alexander so that his armies could be unified and together. And he became this great, crazy, successful um, Conqueror, right? He conquered the. He went all the way to India, conquered the the known world at that time. Unfortunately for him, and interestingly enough, ironically, they say it happened in 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 Babylon, in Nebuchadnezzar's castle, in a big, huge drinking fest. Uh, there's some you know, confusion exactly how it happened, but it, they said he he drank gallons of wine and he got really sick and he died at 32 years old uh, he's that and that's all recorded here and then when he died he had this huge kingdom and he, he hadn't ha- didn't have any heirs he didn't have any sons 
So he had four generals, and uh, they split up the kingdom. There, that's the four horns, the bad hair day on this goat. Incidentally, have you ever seen uh, rams and goats fight? Or like uh, billy goats or like uh, bighorn sheep? Yeah. Or elk? I mean, it's crazy violent. Uh, it's amazingly interesting to watch because they, they, they rear their head up. They jam their head into each other. They butt horns. You ever heard the word butt horns? Very violent. And that's this vision. This uh, Alexander the Great rises up. Who's going to stop the Medes and the Persians? Alexander does it, and he tramples him to death. He, and yet he dies young, and he has these four horns uh, taking over the kingdom. And then one, one horn he comes out. It's a hideous affair, right? Four big horns, and they're conspicuous. And one, of them, one comes out, a little horn, then it becomes great, and it reaches up to the heaven, it says. And it's scraping the scars. I mean stars. <laughs> it's scraping the stars. This is all uh, metaphorical, you understand. It's, it's a picture. But it's a, a freaky, huge, scary picture. Who is this? Well, out of the Greek empire there came a guy who was known as Antiochus Epiphanes. Antiochus IV, Antiochus Epiphanes. Uh, he appeared, he came, and he was this evil guy described here in all of this power that he has. Um, see, that's uh, in verse 9 and following. Uh, it says, out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great, toward the south, toward the east, and toward the, the glorious land. It grew great, even to the host of heaven, and some of the host, and some of the stars. It threw down to the ground and trampled on them. It became great, even as great as the prince of the host. This is actually a reference to, probably to Christ. It's, it's, he became so powerful uh, he was immensely powerful, and it looked like he could do anything he wanted to do. And this is important, because look at how he's described. And he, he goes into the temple of God, and he stops the sacrifice. And in fact, he brought in what they called the abomination of desolation. He brought in uh, wor the worship of Zeus and the sacrifice of pigs in the holy altar of God in Jerusalem. He desecrated it massively. A pig, of course, is completely unclean. Against He purposefully did this to smash their culture and to show his power. And uh, look what it says. And it will act and prosper. He's getting away with it. He's getting to do what he wants to do. Uh, it says that... Um, Let's see, he has a bold face, fearful disruption. See verse 24 also. His power shall be great, but not by his own power. That's a spooky reference to the fact that uh, the powers of evil, the power of Satan himself, that power is working through Antiochus Epiphanes. Uh, and he's doing whatever he wants, but it's not even by his own power. He shall cause fearful destruction. Uh, 
Look at verse 24. And shall succeed in what he does and destroy mighty men and the people who are the saints. There's a huge important reality here. This is the revelation of God. You know, would God say to Daniel on this day that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life? Yes. Yes, but before we get to the wonder, the good part, there's a a great deal of suffering. And yes, you're agonizing with this idiot king, Belshazzar, and you can, you, you can, Daniel, you can imagine where this is going. So God, please give me some relief, and then you give me this vision. That it's going to be more and worse and worse and worse. It's, it's, this is counter health and prosperity gospel. <laughs> Huge. I mean, here's the Bible saying that bad times are coming. Your, your worst life now could be a subtitle to this chapter. Uh, it's it, true. I mean, it, it's saying that we, we cannot say <laughs> that God has not warned us that evil is not coming. Let me read a little bit here. Uh, so uh, the, the dates, you know, like I said, Medo-Persian Empire was 550 to 330. Alexander the Great came on the scene. He died uh, 323, and then his guys took over. And Antiochus Epiphanes, uh, he died 164 BC. So again, from, uh, from Daniel's point of view, He's living in the 550s. Okay, so I have a specific, he doesn't know the dates, but he knows for, for the next long period of time, all kinds of havoc is still going to continue in this situation. This is from the, the apocryphal book called the Maccabees, describing Antiochus Epiphanes, 2 Maccabees uh, chapter 5. When these happenings were reported to the king, the king, this is Antiochus Epiphanes, he thought that Judah was in revolt. Raging like a wild animal, he set out from Egypt and took Jerusalem by storm. He ordered his soldiers to cut down without mercy those whom he met, whom they met, and to slay those who took refuge in their houses. There was a massacre of young and old, a killing of women and children, a slaughter of virgins and infants. In the space of three days, 80,000 were lost, 40,000 meeting a violent death, and the same number being sold into slavery. Okay, so there's the vision. You know, how comforting. Can't we just get to the good part? Why do we have to read Daniel 8? Good question. Let's work on that just a little bit. There's also something haunting going on here too. Haunting in the sense of deeper and sort of mysterious. Uh, Because when he describes Antiochus Epiphanes, and also this will layer on into further in the book. uh, We have a great Sunday school class on the book of Daniel uh, too. Um, I'm pointing to Eugene, the teacher. is that Antiochus Epiphanes, he, he, he becomes the symbol of somebody else. 
somebody else, which is actually the Antichrist, um, spoken of in the New Testament as well. And here's some, these are some of the best Bible uh, Old Testament scholars uh, commenting on this, uh, John Walvert and Roy Zuck uh, in the Bible Knowledge Commentary. The, from Antiochus, certain facts can be learned about the forthcoming desecrator. One, he will achieve great power by subduing others. Two, he will rise to power by promising false security. Three, he will be intelligent and persuasive. Four, he will be controlled by another, that is, Satan. Five, he will be an adversary of Israel and subjugate Israel to his authority. He will rise up, this is six, in opposition to the prince of princes, the Lord Jesus Christ. His rule will be terminated by divine judgment. So it may be concluded that there is a dual reference in this striking prophecy. It reveals Israel's history under the Seleucids, that's one of the horns, one of the generals, uh, the Seleucids, and particularly under Antiochus during the time of Greece, Greek domination. But it also looks forward to Israel's experiences under Antichrist, whom Antiochus foreshadows. So there's deep waters going on here. So let's look at a few verses of Scripture. 1 Timothy chapter 3. If you have a Bible, you can turn to 1 Timothy. I'm just going to read a few quick verses. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Starts out by saying this. Well, you know what? I think I mean 2 Timothy. I do mean 2 Timothy. Forgive me. 2 Timothy chapter 3. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. Here's John 16, John 16, 33, important reality check from Jesus himself. John 16, 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We looked at 1 John in our men's Bible study on Tuesday mornings, and 1 John uh, chapter 3 has a, a similar reference. It says, um, 1 John chapter 3 talks about Jesus coming. It says, see what love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. 
The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And anyone who, ha who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. How do we respond to this revelation, to this information? Look at Daniel chapter 5. Excuse me, I meant chapter 8, our chapter today. Look at how Daniel responds at the very end of it. And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business. But I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. Let me give you some uh, summary of, of what we've been talking about. Oh, I'm sorry, Rosalind, give me, a, give me the next slide, please. You're going to have to change him. So, so he's appalled by this monstrous future, this two-horned ram, Medo-Persia empire. Go ahead, click again, sorry. The unicorn, the male goat, Greece, click. Alexander the Great is coming. These guys are going to march all over your land. Go ahead. Antiochus Epiphanes. So this monstrous future. He says, I'm appalled by it. I'm appalled by the vision. I don't understand it. He's just been explained. Gabriel just explained it to him. So he understands the ups and downs of it. But he's saying, I don't understand this. God, why don't you just fix the problem? Why do you have to continue to bring this trouble onto your earth? Uh, click the next one. So how do we respond? And I want to say, from, with a monstrous uh, future, we should have a meaningful response. I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. At the end of some Bible studies, at the end of some readings, we should be sick. We should be sickened. We should be overwhelmed. If we really take this seriously, this is a description of really bad things to come. Lots of people will be hurt, and God's people are hurt. In God's plan for his future, this is the way he has decided to do it. Daniel is disturbed, absolutely disturbed. It's not letting up. See, that's the kind of the main message here. It's not letting up. We went to a, a funeral yesterday for a, a, an acquaintance of ours. Uh, we homeschool and do debate. And this family had six children, and they were in debate with us. We didn't really know the husband very well, but uh, he had uh, cancer. He had a thing called multiple melanoma, I think. And he fought it. Uh, he was a very, very wealthy guy. And he went to the center for uh, it. It's in Little Rock, Arkansas. And many, many, many times over the last... He fought it for a little over uh, seven years. Uh, but one of the things that struck me during this two-hour funeral we went to yesterday was they said that throughout this period of time, there was no remission. He never went into remission. He kept fighting, kept going. 
until the glorious <laughs> remission that he's enjoying now uh, with the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven. But that's really struck me that that's what, this is the prognosis that Daniel sees. In the last days, there's going to be really troubling times. This is what is happening. He's concerned for God's people. Go ahead, click again. Here's what we should have as a meaningful response. We have to have a bigger view than just you. you know, sometimes we're just so into our own personal comfort, our own personal field. We, we need to have a bigger view of where this earth is and what the real, the realities of life are. The, the you know, the big, the walls that the <laughs> Box this thing in rather than just our little tiny world. Cl click again. Pray for the church. You know, you and I, we're, we're in the lap of luxury here. We can, we can literally argue about the color of the walls. We could literally complain about a, a rumpled piece of paper on the floor. You know what? We could complain about lack of toilet paper in the bathroom. Or in our case right now, the lack of bathrooms. <laughs> I mean, seriously, we could complain about it. We could be upset about it. My golly, why can't we get those bathrooms fixed? <laughs> you know, like, let's just step back and think about the world. Let's think about the underground church in China. You know, how much they would long to have a crumpled piece of paper on the floor. I mean, you know, we're so... Why are we cushioned? Why do we live in comfort? I don't know. But we're called by Scripture to have a bigger view of the world. And we should pray for the church. You know what this Arab, Arab Spring has brought? The Arab Spring has brought destruction to the church. The Syrian church is in great havoc. Persecution. Murder. It's not Antiochus Epiphanes. But people are chasing people down and killing them, burning churches. Pakistan, as you know, great uh, center for persecution. And, you know, I'm convicted by this, too. Because I'm, I'm in the realm where I could, I could argue about the color of paint on the walls. How stupid is that? Right? We should be concerned about big, real realities. Pray for the church. Uh, go ahead, click the next button here. And, and this is where I really want to end. Stay faithful. You know, it's okay. <laughs> We're with Daniel. Come on, let's just be with Daniel in, in verse 27. I was overcome and lay sick for some days, but then I rose and went about the king's business. I went back to work for that idiot. I made Belshazzar's kingdom work better. It was cursed, it was condemned, it was going to end in big, huge failure, but I want to make it better. I want to, have, I want to have light in the darkness. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to forsake the call of God because I live in a dark place. I'm going to be that light. He stay faithful. He does not give up. And, and our friend that I told you about, his name is Patrick Lynn, and he had no remission against this cancer he had. He's kept fighting. He kept going. You know, I want to stay here for my family. He had six kids. 
uh, if he could. And God kept him here, you know, just for seven years longer. No, no rem- in the face of no remissions, of, of, of no... Ev- evil's not going to necessarily let up in my lifetime. But that's no justification for quitting. Absolutely, stay faithful. I think of our dear friend Travis. We're going to have a memorial for him today. And, you know, he had a famous Bible he liked to carry around. And on one side it said, it may be today. And then you flip it over and it said, may it be today. He, he was a man who never quit. He, he lived in light of the coming of Jesus, but he was faithful. He, he literally drug himself to church, even when he couldn't hardly do it. He, for, for decades, he was the first one in this building, for Sunday after Sunday, made sure the lights were on. He made coffee for people. He doesn't even drink coffee. <laughs> he was a servant beyond capacity, beyond our imagination, and faithful to the very end. Do not give up. Serve, even when it doesn't seem to make sense to you. And I want to go to the next slide, please. Here's some really specific things to think about. A meaningful response to a monstrous future, what should we do? First of all, feed on the word. Stay in the word of God. It is the only thing that will not deceive you. There's a lot of deception in here. There's a lot of powerful influence in here. In this passage described deceiving people, we have to stay, stay in the word. Feed on it. Now really turn to 1 Timothy real quick. There's a verse here that just caught my imagination several years back. And uh, it's, you know, one of those times when you're doing a careful study and one verse just jumps off the page and and says, this is it. (laughs) Uh, 1 Timothy 4, verse 6. Remember, uh, yeah, 1 Timothy 4, 6. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Being trained, and that's where I want to focus on, being trained in the words of the faith. This is a point where I really like the New American Standard Version. Some of you might be reading it because it says, constantly nourished on the words of the faith. I've got some hands. That's what it says. Constantly nourished. That is the word here, it's, it's entrefo, entrefo, to live on, to feed on, and it's a present participle, meaning this describes me and is an ongoing reality. This describes me. I'm constantly feeding on the words of the faith, words of the faith. That is the, the, the holy scripture the writing from God. You know, Christians promote literacy. Christians promote literacy the world over so you can read the word of God. Hallelujah. You know, you should be growing in literacy, in in your literacy of scripture, your reading of the words. That's what you need to do to stay faithful. Stay faithful with it. 
Secondly, I say pray faithfully. Pray faithfully. Pray without ceasing. You know, pray for this broken, hurting world. I don't know why we're so blessed and wealthy, but it's a gift of God. And we should use it. Use these islands of, of peace, the Pax Americana. Use it for good purposes to, to, to reach out and love uh, around the world where evil is real. Now, evil's real here, <laughs> but where it's so rampant and persecuting the church. Pray faithfully. Second, uh, third bullet here. Be a local and global Christian. And citizen is the word I said there. Be a good citizen. What's a good citizen? I mean somebody who cares about his neighbors. You know, somebody who's locally involved. Why? Because there's this horrible, monstrous future. And, and if you don't have Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're totally lost. And the world governments aren't going anywhere pretty. They aren't going anywhere pretty. We may live in this bubble, and we may die like my father in peace and, and security, but one day that is not going to be the case. And it could be today. You know, the, the Bible is very clear about this. Bad times are coming. And, and so we want to be, a, be helping to prepare people for it. That's what all of our ministries are, are about here at First Baptist Church of Monterey. This is our mission. You know, take people from, you know, ground zero up to 100%. We want to introduce people. We want them to grow in the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to make disciples. We want to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We want to teach them whatever Jesus has commanded us. That's why we exist. That's why, you know, we want to keep to a minimum complaining about the lack of toilet paper. I'm sure we had lots of toilet paper. I'm just making stuff up here. <laughs> Never fear, there's toilet paper for everybody. <laughs> Uh, but you get my point. You get my point. It's not raining. It's not raining. Now, how, how vulnerable are we? Be a, and be a global citizen, as I've already indicated. You know, get our minds out of our own little uh, littleness and into a bigger view of what's going on around the world. Uh, then those are kind of three things to do on a personal level. And then I, the last three are, what should you do about a local church? And I mean our church here. What should you be doing in view of this monstrous future? We have a big mission. We're not playing games here. You know, we're preparing for what could be today. Uh, in, in the very near future, attend faithfully worship and a small group. This is kind of what we expect, we hope that you will attend worship regularly and be involved in a small group of some kind. We offer several here. It's important for fellowship, even a Sunday school class, to sit down and get to know people, talk with them straight on. Attend faithfully worship in small group. Click. Serve in the mission of the church. You know, serve. We, we lack servants. We have Sunday school classes that need to be taught. We have a wana that needs to be led. We, we have all kinds of ministries that we're, you know, we're trying to do the best we can, and this is far from perfect. But we want to serve. We have a mission. As a church, we exist for a reason. And every Christian needs to be involved in some form of service, some way or another. 
And if you're a part of this church, you ought to be involved with some form of, <laughs> some form of service right here and now. You really ought to be. Uh, we've had some folks over the years that, you know, they sit and warm a pew for 15 years. You know, and I guess, okay, if that's all you can do, that's, that's okay. But I think that that's a lack of urgency. It's missing the point of why we exist. We don't exist so you can warm a pew. We're, we're trying to do all of these ministries to prepare people for this monstrous future so that they can be ready for reality. Serve in the mission of the church. And then my final point is, uh, in other words, support the mission 100%. We want people that are all in. I don't even know if this story goes in the right place, but I was visiting a... I visit up at the hospital as a volunteer. It's kind of like being a local citizen. And uh, I was visiting with a dear lady, Christian lady who's uh, suffering from Alzheimer's. But she was very happy, and we had a long and interesting conversation. It, it jumped over a few fences, didn't stay on the path. But it was a really warm conversation, and it was sweet. And she looked at me and said, you know, Pastor Nate, I'm 100%. And I said, yeah, you are. I'm there. You're all there. You know, you're here, wherever you are, you're 100%. And I want to be 100%. We're not looking for, for people to be 30%, you know, 45%. What God is calling us to is 100%. Let's pray. Oh, Father, could we be appalled at your word today with Daniel in his faithful prophetic office. He was appalled and overcome. Lord, help us to peek into the future and see that it's, it is pretty scary. And we, we know it. And we need to prepare for it ourselves and to be good citizens, local and global, to help to bring the good news of salvation, that the Prince of Peace wins. He tramples the evil one and we, through faith, can have the righteousness of the Prince of Peace. And we can have him as our Savior and Lord. Lord, help us to be 100%. Amen.